This morning, as we remember Palm Sunday, there are two passages of Scripture that I want to encourage you to find in your Bibles. The first is from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 21, verses 1 through 11. And then we will also be looking at the Old Testament book of Zechariah, chapter 9. So I want to give you a few moments to find Matthew 21 and then to turn to Zechariah, chapter 9. While you're doing that, I'll take a few moments just to give you an update on my daughter Emma. Uh, the last three and a half weeks have been really good. Emma's had some very good physical therapy sessions, speech therapy. Uh, speech therapist has been very encouraged by how we're seeing her tongue move more and more, which is a step toward her controlling her esophagus and airway and another step toward getting the trach removed. One prayer request that Jody and I would ask you to lift up on behalf of Emma, though, is this. Her blood work is showing that her hemoglobin and platelet count has been slowly decreasing. We're not really sure why this is happening, and we're trying a few things to boost it, but we really believe that God can turn that around in a moment. So please be praying that those numbers would elevate um, and that she would just continue to get stronger and stronger and improve. So thank you for your prayers. Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 through 11, record the entrance of Jesus into Jerusalem. So please, follow with me as I read this passage. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks and set on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Would you please bow with me and let's pray. Gracious Lord, I pray that even now, through the power of your Spirit, we would experience the joy that that crowd felt as Jesus entered into Jerusalem. Father, I pray that, Lord, the familiarity of this event would not rob us of its meaning. So we ask you, O Lord, to quicken our hearts and our minds with your Spirit. And Father, may you be glorified. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. I'd like to ask you to step back with me in time for just a few moments. Not to 2,000 years ago to that day when Jesus entered Jerusalem, but rather 
to May 26th through June 4th of 1940. I want you to imagine with me for a moment that you are one of the British soldiers that are trapped on the beaches of Dunkirk. The German army has pressed inward. And now, you're trapped. The German army is behind you, and the Atlantic Ocean is in front of you. And you are part of 300,000 soldiers that have no hope of getting home. The commander steps forward. He is standing upon the edge of a pier and he lifts the binoculars to his eyes and he begins to scan the horizon hoping for any sign of hope. And that's when he notices a dot. It's still very far distant upon the horizon, but as he watches, he notices that other dots begin to appear. And they're getting closer. He notices then that flying from the mast of one of those ships is the Union Jack. This moment is captured very poignantly in the film Dunkirk. The commander sees the ships getting closer and closer. It's a flotilla that has answered the call of their country to rescue the soldiers. And as he lures his binoculars, tears fill his eyes, and a smile comes upon his face. The second in command asks, what do you see? And he answers, home. I see home. Now if you would allow me for just a few moments to stretch that analogy to its utmost. These are days where we certainly feel surrounded. We feel surrounded like this virus has us trapped. And to the left of us there is worry. On the right is anxiety. And in front of us is uncertainty. This morning I want to encourage you to look to the horizon. I want to encourage you to look to the horizon to see joy and to see hope. I want you this morning to experience the feeling that was in Jerusalem that day as Jesus rode into town amid shouts of Hosanna, amid a rush of excitement as anticipation filled the air and joy was contagious. Today as we remember Palm Sunday, there are two questions that I want to ask to guide us to experiencing that rush. First question is this. Why was there such joy? I'd remind you that even though the crowds were filling Jerusalem with pass for Passover, they were still a people very trapped underneath the thumb of Roman authority. But yet for this moment, there was an eruption of joy. Why? Next question is this. Why was Jesus so specific? about his disciples getting a donkey. You'll notice he emphasizes it in verse 2. He says, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, just tell them the Lord needs them. And he'll send them. Jesus is very specific that it needs to be a donkey. Now, both of those questions are connected by the issue of significance. 
why was it significant that Jesus ride in on a donkey? And why did that arrival bring joy? You understand that actions carry with them symbolic meaning. This is illustrated by what occurred on the beaches near Fort Wagner in the Civil War. When the 54th Regiment of the Union Army was there, and it was the first all-black regiment in the Civil War fighting for the Union, they were given the task of leading the assault against Fort Wagner. This was a, a suicide mission. The only approach to the fort was through a narrow isthmus that would be heavily bombarded when the rebels saw the Union Army advancing. Once again in the film Glory, this, point, this moment is captured as Matthew Broderick playing Colonel Shaw speaks to the troops and he addresses them by saying and looking at the man carrying the flag, if this man should fall, who will pick up the colors? The character played by Denzel Washington steps forward and he says, if he falls, I will pick up the flag. When that moment comes, it is wrought with significance. Not just the pragmatism of saying the flag allows you to identify where the troops are. Seeing the flag still flying carried with it the significance of we are still in this fight. We are still in the battle. We are not done. We are not defeated. Actions carry with them significance. The significance of Jesus riding on a donkey is pointed out in verse 5. When he quotes the prophet Zechariah. Say to the daughter of Zion, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, on a foal. The be a beast of burden. The significance of the actions and the joy that flow out of that action are found in the book of Zechariah. So with that said, I ask you now to turn to the Old Testament book of Zechariah chapter 9. Now as you're turning there, I want to give you some important things to keep in mind about Zechariah. It's a book that was written, Zechariah prophesied approximately 500 years before Jesus. When Zechariah came on the scene preaching, Israel was a conquered people. They were under the control and the dominion of Babylon, and things did not look good. Those to whom Zechariah was preaching were poor. They were powerless and hopeless. Fear was on the left of them, worry on the right, and uncertainty in front of them. But slowly, over time, those who had been taken away to the city of Babylon had started returning to Jerusalem. Slowly, the people of God were starting to stand on their feet again. Slowly, the people of God were beginning to rebuild the temple. And that is when God sent Zechariah with a message. God speaks to the prophet to say to the people, Don't give up. Obey the Lord. Keep focused on God and His promises. Don't fall back into the sins that have plagued you for years. Trust God and He will provide what you need. That's the primary message of Zechariah chapters 1 through 8. 
chapters 9 through 14 narrow the scope. You see in chapter 9 that God not only reigns over Judah, He reigns over the entire world. And He says that as He speaks to the kingdoms of the world, the kingdom of God will be ushered in by Messiah. Messiah is the Savior sent by God who will live in perfect obedience to God. He will be a Redeemer who will rescue His people by the power of God. Now, chapter 9, verses 1 through 10 show how that will come about. Verses 1 through 8 describe the victory of God's kingdom. And I want to point out in verse 1 something that's very important. Notice when he says in Zechariah 9, verse 1, The oracle of the word of the Lord is against the land of Hadrach, and Damascus is its resting place. That's where the word of the Lord will fall. Hadrach and Damascus were enemies of the people of Israel. But it's this next line I want you to hear. For the Lord has an eye on mankind. God is not only looking at His people Israel. God is sovereign over all nations it's the truth we need to remember that God is not asleep his eyes are not closed he sees and he knows this week it was revealed that in order to get a a grip on the spread of the pandemic and if people are really staying home and staying put that cell companies were submitting data as far as location no privacy things were said to have been given over, but just data. Where are people going? If we have the ability to know where people are, how much more so does God? Indeed, as Jesus said, if his eye is on the sparrow, he is watching you. God is not passively just watching. He is at work guiding. He is the God who sets things right. And that's what is emphasized in Zechariah chapter 9. His eye is not only on all these nations. It speaks of the fact that he is not passively watching, but he is acting to bring about justice and the completion of his plan. To these nations in chapters 1 through 4, he says judgment is coming. To Tyre and Sidon, to Ashkelon and Ekron. Now, if you'll allow me just a brief history lesson. Within 200 years of Zechariah preaching, these nations mentioned here were decimated by a warrior known as Alexander the Great. Everything that God said would happen here happened. Notice in verse 6, it says, A mixed people should dwell in Ashdod, and I will cut off the pride of Philistia. Philistia. That happened in the time of Alexander the Great, as the Greeks following Alexander began to live and to inhabit these places. But Alexander was not the ultimate fulfillment. You see, Alexander was not the Messiah. He died and did not rise again. In fact, verses 9 through 13 go on to to speak of the Messiah who would come, the king who would bring true salvation, the king who would end all wars, the king who would rule justly over the earth. And here's the irony. Notice verse 9. 
Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. In other words, be happy. Have joy. Celebrate. Why? Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Now listen to the next line. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. When the Messiah comes, Zechariah said, He will not ride into the city on a magnificent war horse, but on a donkey. He won't come riding a stallion, wearing armor in the midst of a military parade, but he will come in humility. To put it in our language of today, the Messiah would come not riding in a limo, but driving a Chevy. He doesn't ride on a white stallion, but riding on a donkey. He becomes the embodiment of the truth. Some trust in chariots, some trust in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. But don't let the means of his arrival fool you. Notice in verse 9, righteous and having salvation is he. Now those phrases are synonymous. In the Scripture, the righteousness of God is not just a static description of who God is. It's an active word describing God's actions to set things right. Salvation and righteousness are synonymous, parallel ideas. It is God's power to redeem things and to set them right. And He does this through the Messiah. He brings about change. The change that God brings about through the Messiah is reconciliation. Once again, look to verse 7. God says, I will take away its blood from its mouth and its abominations from between its teeth. It too shall be a remnant for our God. It shall be like a clan in Judah, and Ekron shall be like the Jebusites. The very beginning of verse 7 describes the practices of idolatry. But notice he says, those practices will be taken away and these people shall be like a remnant for God. Notice what he's saying. The enemies of God will become friends of God. That's what the Messiah does. He brings reconciliation. That's the beauty of the gospel. We who were enemies of God are now children of God. We were who were estranged from God are now close to God. We who had received no mercy have now received mercy. We who were not the people of God are now the people of God. And God does this through the Messiah. That's why the people were rejoicing in Matthew 21. That is why Jesus was so specific about the donkey. He was signifying that he is the Messiah who is bringing these things to pass. That is why the people erupted in joy with shouts of Hosanna, Hosanna. The modern equivalent of this would be an impromptu ticker tape parade where people rejoice. That's why they had joy. And that's why we can have joy now. Now I recognize these are strange and difficult times for us. I recognize that worry is dogging our steps. 
But I want to encourage you the truth of the gospel that because the Messiah has come, you and I can live in joy even in the midst of uncertainty. It has been taught frequently that our joy does not depend upon circumstances but upon Jesus. Now is the time to put that to the test. It is very easy to dwell on how things should have been. And it is very easy to become angry and frustrated over the things that have been canceled. And we can choose to dwell on those things. Or we can make the choice to focus on Christ, the Messiah, who has come. And to say, because He has come, I am confident of a great and good outcome. That's where joy is found. We can focus on Christ and thank Him for His grace and the blessings of today. That's where spiritual warfare occurs. It's in our minds, our thoughts. Now, yeah, it's around us, but the battle will take place in our thinking. That's why we need to take every thought captive to the gospel and to say the Messiah has indeed come. Because if we do not do that, if we do not focus on joy and the arrival of the Messiah... We will follow the same pattern of the people of Jerusalem. Within a week of shouting Hosanna, they were beginning to shout, crucify him. What happened? The people forgot. Their expectations were that the Messiah would come and immediately set them free from Rome. They were expecting Jesus to reestablish their nation. They were expecting that at that moment prosperity would happen. But what they didn't realize is that Jesus had come to bring them victory on a deeper level. He had come to destroy the real enemy, death. He had come to destroy the work of the devil. See, that's the real battle. Just like the empire of Rome faded, so too will this time of pandemic. It will come to an end. And we pray that it will be sooner rather than later. But the real issue is this. Are we right with God? That's the real issue. Have we been forgiven? Have we taken the Messiah at His word and experienced the reconciliation that He brings? That's why Jesus went to the cross. He died so that we could have life. He died and rose again so that we could live in joy. The joy of Jesus. Focus on these things. And remember on this day as we think about Palm Sunday, that was not just a, an event for then. It's a call for us to remember the Messiah has come join me in praying once again heavenly father i thank you that we can have a joy that transcends difficulties and lord i pray right now that you would help us to remember our messiah to remember our savior and to dwell upon him father we pray that this pandemic will end soon grant it lord jesus but more than anything i pray that we will turn to you and recognize our need for the Messiah. For it is in His name that we pray. Amen.
Horatio Spafford understood well that in the midst of agony and tragedy and the terrible loss of his daughters, that he could still proclaim because of what Jesus had done that it is well with my soul. Oh 